I'm in Tallahassee one day in grad school on the elevator. Tired. I don't want no more, right? I don't want it. I'm saying you had enough. I've I'm I've had enough. Grad school is just not for me. People said that grad school was is easier than undergrad. Those people They're lying to you. They're liars. <laughs> Did not tell the truth. But we I get on the elevator and there's a lady with a dog and she's blind. And she is going to class and she is happy go lucky. Hold on. There's a lady in the elevator with a dog and she's blind and she's going to class. Going to class. Carry on. Not upset. Not. And if she can go to class and get a degree as a blind person, and I've got all my faculties, and the only thing that's wrong with me is I'm tired, then I can keep it moving. we're having right away Bobby just said it's so difficult of being what you said people don't realize that you're normal a regular person they don't realize you're a regular person Correct. so clearly we have here Senator Bobby Powell now one of the, the other day I saw Bobby I said we got to have a conversation because I don't think I'm the only guy that I don't know what the heck these positions legislative senator what the heck you guys do? So that's how the conversation first got started. So I want to introduce you guys to Bobby Powell, but we're going to have a real conversation and we're going to discuss process and system from fatherhood to husband to local guy that I always watch and be super consistent and growing and developing in the political world. Don't know what the heck that means, but we're going to start with that. Hello, Bobby. Hello, Beethoven, <laughs> and thank you for allowing me this opportunity to speak with you today. We, we've got a lot of ground to cover. I used to be a part of a, like a small radio program where we say we've got a lot to unpack. So right. there's a lot that we, we need to really unpack uh, when you talk about the idea that you don't know what you know a legislator does or a state representative or state senator. It's simple, but it's it's difficult, right? It's it's complicated, but it's really not. So I would love to kind of unpack some of that and let people know what we do uh, as legislators. And then just to give people an opportunity to understand how do you go from sitting at home where you're at, watching people who are legislators are elected to becoming elected. Because there's a concept where I've seen a lot of people run for office and because I've been in this space for such a long time, some people end up being serious contenders and some people are just running. And if a person's going to run, I believe that the, the individual should be serious about what they're doing. The, the time for business is here. You know, we, we have to be about the business of being about business. That's simple. So a couple of things. So I want to get started. I one, I want to protect you. So if there's anything that's politically correct that I need to protect, just say one. Just do this to me, so I kind of know to protect you because I'm really want to go there to have real conversation like we normally do, but in a different 
Yeah, don't worry. Let's go when it all gets started. Bobby Powell, born in Riviera Beach? I was born in Riviera Beach. Raised in Riviera Beach. What does that look like for Bobby Powell um, growing up in Riviera Beach in this community that we're sitting in? Um, mom and dad? like Two-parent household. Uh, my mother was disabled by the time I hit. I would say she had a lot of medical issues, um, but by the time I hit middle school, she was on dialysis and I, I think getting to the point where she needed to have a hip replacement. Um, but before that, she used to work at Pantry Pride. Did I say that right? Pantry Pride? I know. It was a grocery store. Pantry local, Pride. Local grocery store. Local grocery store. Uh, my family, like I'm second generation Riviera Beach. My mother uh, grew up on First Street and her grandma, her mother, my grandmother, who, uh, Annie Pearl Grace, uh, was born in Andalusia, Alabama, along with my grandfather, who I never met. Annie Pearl Grace? Annie Pearl Grace. You know that's an old name, right? Let me tell you. She's a pretty young lady. That's old school, old school. But is she related to Annie Pearl the Baker or is no relation or? No relation. That I know of. That you know of. Okay. That Annie Pearl of. Grace. You know, we may all be connected. Uh, yes, of course. And we're black in this community. Yes. Well, yes. I'm just going to leave it with that. Um... So growing up in Riviera Beach, mom and dad in the house, your mom had a disability around middle school. She had a, a disability. You got other brothers and sisters? I do. I do. I've got uh, got a, a, a lot of family. Encapsulated uh, by me being one of the youngest, I've got two older sisters. Um, and one of my older sisters now, my one of my oldest sisters, my oldest sister passed. And... My other sister, I spend a lot of time with. Uh, we, fourteen years older than I am, and um, because of that, growing up, I had the opportunity to get a, a lot of knowledge and wisdom, and I had people who made mistakes before I got a chance to make them, mm -hmm. and henceforth, if I got a chance to uh, lead and make mistakes that the people under me or behind me didn't get a chance to or have have to make. So growing up, they were, I, you know, it's hard to encapsulate because I grew up right next door to my mom's sister, who was my aunt, mm -hmm. and she had her grandkids. It's, you know, Community. things are complicated. It's, it's a family. So you kind of, how do you consider your cousins and your nephews and when you're always all together? And so you people, guys are all brothers and sisters, basically. It's something like that. House. Right, because when people come and see you when your kids, they ask, can you, you don't distinguish, can your brothers come out? You want to be like, Hey, that's my nephew. Hey, that's my cousin. Oh yeah. You have, Hey, you had a real one. I'm the boss. I I got the picture. I When you broke it down like that, I know what kind of family you grew up in. Um, so you had a, a wiser sister growing up in the home. Did you have any family member that was close to your age that you really hung out with or, Oh, absolutely. You, absolutely. You had a little bit of everything in the house. Right. Uh, my cousin, who I, we are about maybe a year and a half apart, he's older than I am, ended up going to, uh, we went to middle school together, high school together, and then we split up when it was time to go to college. Uh, he was my aunt's grandson, and we grew up really close to the point that, you know, other people sometimes in the neighborhood would say things like, oh, I'm a Torrance's cousin. Like, but I'm the real cousin, right? right and right. these people who I didn't want to be in my family would be like, oh, I'm his cousin. And I'd be like, 
Yeah, yeah, not really. Not really. You know how that goes. But really, in reality, you want to ask the question. So, so that's my mama, mama, daughter, daughter, son. Tell me how how you you fit in the equation because every time we go to something at grandma's house, I don't see you. I don't see you. So we're basically not connected. I'm trying to figure this out. Stop telling people that because you know people say, "Oh, you related to such and such," because that that's Torrance's cousin. <laughs> Boy. Um, I don't know what you guys are going through around that. that it's time. a lot. It's a, it's a lot. And a I lot think to I, unpack. I definitely want to not unpack that right there. We're going to skip that for another day. But growing up in Riviera Beach, did you go through the Riviera Beach school system? Like, were you, did you go to a local school? And also, were you part of any other activities in the community? I was. I went to, well, I went to Palm Beach Gardens Elementary, which a lot of the kids from the neighborhood went to Palm Beach Gardens Elementary. We would bus to Palm Beach Gardens, and then we went to, how Watkins and then to Palm Beach Gardens High School where a lot of my friends in the neighborhood also went and attended. Of course, you know, uh, there is Lincoln and Riviera Beach as well as Washington Elementary. What's interesting is some kids would be on the very next street or on the same street and we went to different schools. For example, uh, after I would get out of school, I would go across the street when I was in elementary school and and, uh, I would be, I guess, babysat by a lady we named well, Miss Kate and the kids who were there, there were five boys who lived in that house and they all went to Eisenhower. So we lived on the same street, just across mm. the street from each other. And they went to different schools. So we all got along. We all went to neighboring schools and we all, back then we all played outside in the neighborhood and we, uh, we did everything, you know, everything that kids do or used to do. We did play together, uh, laugh together, fight together fight each other um, and grew up together. So even now it's hard to say because people are different, but um, a lot of the people who I grew up with, we still kind of consider ourselves really close because we grew up on the same street. We're always around each other. We hung out with each other. We rode bicycles. We, all those things, all those things that um, kids don't do today, like a lot of video games we did back then. So it, it made you a little bit closer and you remember the, the times we had growing up. Were you involved with, like, was it the park and rec system, you think? Were you involved with parks and rec? I did. And all I, those? A little bit. A little bit. I didn't play football, but I would go to some of the games. I did play basketball uh, back in the day, one year. I, <laughs> that, one, that one good year. It huh? was enough for me, you know. Um, you know, you expect certain things and certain people to show up sometimes, and when that doesn't happen... You you don't see the value in it, right? And you realize later on that it's not about who didn't show up for you, but um, what you're going to get out of it. But a lot of kids have that where they go to participate or they don't get the attention uh, that they felt they deserved while playing those sports and get detracted from it. So a lot of unorganized stuff um, in terms of being connected. You're saying something. I think I want to unpack that. It's a real thing. What I'm hearing is you were involved with sports, but you didn't have the support around you that got that made you excited to go back again. And I think a lot of families locally, everybody's coming to the game. Their cousins, their dads, their uncles. It's a big support system. You weren't getting that in that in those days, you don't you're saying basically. My mom showed up at every game. But here's the thing. 
when you're a developing athlete, see that that's the way you say it. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't the greatest, but I wasn't the worst, right? Right, right. I when you're it. a developing athlete, you are looking for that extra support from people around you to help you to develop and to grow into the person or the athlete who you should be. Uh, naturally, I didn't have that support, and uh, it ended up, you know, the next year when it was time to sign up for basketball again. Although I was one of the tallest kids at the time, not tall at all. Right. Now. I didn't have a desire to go back out there. It's in you're running, you're jumping, you're doing exercises, and you're a little kid. You're like, brother, this might not be this is, for me. This is enough, right? I ain't trying to go to the NBA. What right, is this right. all about? I'm just you doing know? this to hang out. You're actually right. making me work. You're making me work. This is a bit much. I'm a kid. Right. I just want to play. I'm and and I've coached sports at this level, and and I've coached sports at Pop Warner, at Wells, and in Riviera Beach, and I've coached high school kids in terms of track and field. But the difference is, you know, when the kids are really young, I'm looking for those kids that are in the middle, right? Because I was one of the kids that was in the middle. Not the greatest, but not the worst. So what you always recognize is that the people who are the greatest and the people who are the worst get the most attention. Those <laughs> right in the middle are like, hey, nobody's really paying nobody's talking attention. To me. You, can, you can really, if you're in the middle, you can really be invisible, Right. Because the mm. ones who are the worst, people are trying to make sure that they either don't get in the game or at least they learn how to walk with their feet straight. And the ones who are the best, they're trying to make sure they're constant, constantly and consistently rotated out. The ones who are in the middle, kind of like below the radar. And if they're not noisy, like I wasn't uh, very aggressive, then you, you can definitely slip beneath the radar. And people, I forgot. Oh. I only put you in twice. I didn't realize yeah. I only put you in twice. And you just sitting there, and then like you say, nobody's there fighting for you. For no, your, for your turn. But so overall, how was Riviera Beach growing up? Like, how was the community, the atmosphere, the local, the support? Like, how, like what do you remember Riviera Beach being around those times? It was great. I mean, like I said at the time, we all knew each other. Most of the kids growing up in the community knew each other. There was. As kids, you don't have a lot of beef with each other. You know who people are and who 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 likes who and who doesn't like who. Uh, there, are, of course, you you hear about uh, some of the feuds and battles and some of the um, negative things that would happen in the community. But for the most part, it was a, a you know a wonderful time growing up as a kid, right? You know, we did not realize that we were not. I mean, we weren't poor, poor, but I definitely know what, you know, the commodities truck is, you know, the, and I know how to, you know, I know how to make people don't understand, like, you know, the commodities truck is that USDA truck uh, that would pass out food that uh, my mama called it commodities, but it was like the, I don't want to say welfare, but you know, the box of raisins that's all white that just says USDA, the can of pork that's silver, the peanut butter in the can that makes the best peanut butter cookies, the block of cheese okay, in the okay. brown box is orange, um, the cornmeal that makes good cornmeal cookies. You know, I'm I'm very, I was very familiar with that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. Yes, yes. I'm going to go with it. Yes, I understand where you come from. So. Growing up in that environment, you learn how to be real creative with the, what you have. Oh, absolutely. Even to this day, you you remain creative. Uh, no matter how far along you get. Like, I go to a lot of these rubber chicken dinners, right? Mm -hmm. And um, 
sometimes when I'm there, I'm just like, brother, just bring me some hot dogs and pork and beans. I this, got it from here. This is not going to, this is, as this ain't it. This ain't <laughs> this it. This is not it. This is not it. I get <laughs> you it. You know, or can we get some chicken wings? You know, this is a very nice plate set up with garnish and it's very decorated. But I'm okay with just some chicken wings. I'm okay. I'm not going to eat this. <laughs> I'm prepared to go to eat after this. Which is sad, you know, you spend $100 on a, a meal only to leave and have to go to get something from that's a fast a food thing. place. Frequently. That's, that's, that's a real thing. So, grow, so growing up in Riviera Beach, enjoying what government offered you to delicacies that they offered you in the can of peanut butter and everything else. Like, how did you get to the point where you knew you wanted to be in this position? Or did you ever had an idea you wanted to be in this position? Now, so so here's the thing, right? It sounded good, right? Yeah. So, so when you thing. know you don't have nothing when you say here's the thing. So here's so, the thing. Here's the thing. I, so my dad did construction. He he worked for the cable company. And my mom worked for Pantry Pride. So for a bit of time, you know, we, we always were doing well. And my dad always worked uh, until, you know, I think I was in college at one point when he had an injury that prevented him from working. and But he went beast mode. I'll tell you what he did later on. So we were never, the commodity struck with the real thing. But we were never, I don't look at it at the point, like we were um, so poor that that's what we, we necessarily ate a lot. Because my dad and mom knew how to make it happen. My dad would cut trees. To this day, at 75 years old, if he had to, he'd go out there and cut trees. And But, um I will say that to know that, to know how hard a worker that he was and my mom was, my mom made it happen. He would bring the food. Now, we would get food from the meat house. People know what the meat house is. It's like um, oxtails, this place on, mm-hmm. on military or um, Rosita. And we would get food from, um, you know, different places to make sure that the meals were full, healthy, Mills. We ate a lot of, speaking of oxtails, we ate a lot of oxtails. Okay. That's when oxtails were cheap. Other people found that the oxtails taste good. And they had to bring that number I mean, up. come on. Yeah. Oxtails, five times the price of what they used to be. I don't know if you could eat oxtails five times a week. No. You balling. You, you, right, right. You eating twice rich, a week, you really rich, balling. Rich. So, I mean, we, we had it, right? We, we had it going on because my father and my mother both worked. They made it happen and they cooked every night. Uh, we didn't, have the benefit of going to McDonald's uh, because I thought we weren't going to McDonald's because we couldn't afford it. And maybe we couldn't, but m- my parents liked to cook every night. My mom would say, well, you're going to Clara's Kitchen. I'm like, we're passing McDonald's right there. Right. You're going to Clara's Kitchen. Clara. Right. You're going to Clara's Kitchen. I'm like, we've been there every day. We, we still eat at Clara's Kitchen? Mom, I want something to drink. You're going to drink some City Punch. City Punch is water. <laughs> okay, okay. Kids do not want to drink water all the time. Right. But, um... You know, it was good for us because, you know, we grew up healthier. We grew up in an era where, um, and it was so many kids around that, you know, we bought, if my parents bought juices and whatnot, we killed it in like one day or less. That was a hit. It's a wrap. Definitely was the hit. It's a wrap. It was like a, like you got a gift. Like it was like a celebration when you get juice in the house. Right. And it was always Kool-Aid around. But you know, kids. But you gotta do the work. Who wants to do that? Who wants to go make the Kool Aid when you could just buy some 
I think for us, it was like, even when we got orange juice, it was like exciting. We're like, we got juice. Juice on, we're going crazy off it. You know how it is. You make the Absolutely. you make the Kool Aid. You don't tell your brothers and sisters. <laughs> you gonna try to drink it all. You and you like you hide it behind the water jug, right? So they won't. So that they don't they're look. Not the they're not jug. looking hard. Yeah, they're not moving. They right. find that Kool Aid and it's over. Who drunk all the Kool Aid? Who drunk all the Kool Aid? Mikey did. Wasn't that a commercial? Mikey, Mikey. Right, it was. It was 100%. a commercial. Um, but so I, I want to know when and how did you get to the point, or did you know from the start? That you wanted to get involved with government. Was that a thing for you or was that like how did Man. that whole thing happen? So so we 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 gotta pull back a little bit to um, you know, I was a track and field athlete in college. Okay. And I also uh when I, I went to FAMU and I was never interested in politics. I thought it was boring. And many people think it's boring. Now. I, I still do, but just Carry on. Oh, it's getting exciting, right? No, like, I mean right now politics is what everybody's. I a part think of. the the ignorance of politics, the gossip, the chatty patty stuff of politics. Oh. People love the sport, but it's politics. Bad. I don't know if people are just like, mm, I can't wait to. You know what? Let me not because I think the the sport, the wars of politics, people are excited to see and want to be part of. But is that really politics, or is that? In a, in a sense, it is, right? Everything is sport. Everything mm. is politics. Like, every job you get is politics. It's about, it's a part of who you know and what you know. But what you will see is sometimes the people who are the most well-connected get the most reward. So it's not always necessarily the smartest person. And that's what people have to learn about the world. Sometimes people will say things like, I don't care who likes me. I, I know I'm smart and I've got the skill set. Yeah, but you're not controlling the game. Somebody else is controlling the board. And if you're not liked by the people who are in positions to help you get things done, then you get blocked out. And that's that's a hundred percent. That's that's jobs. That is sports. That is politics, right? It, I don't care how good an athlete you are. If you play on a football team, if the coach does not like you, you're not getting playing time. You may be like, "Well, I'm so good. The coach knows I'm good." You have a bad attitude. I can score all day and all night. You're not gonna get playing time. And you may be able to score all day and all night, but if the quarterback doesn't like you, he is not throwing you the ball. So the importance of relationships. It's all about relationship. So politics be, it begins with part of that. And then then you tie in the let me learn or let them learn what to do. I'll tell anyone, you know, the first part of the campaign is the campaign. Sometimes people start their campaign with the policy. You'll get to the policy, but you're going to bore people to death when you start talking about the inner workings of the tax code and how to change the tax code to benefit. People want to understand what's exciting about you, what you're going to do, and it's about how you make them feel, right? As a person of color, as a black man in politics, one of the most powerful things that people get a chance to see me do is just be, right? Be in the position. I am the first uh, African-American 
person from Riviera Beach, from Palm Beach County that's black, to serve in the state Senate, right? From Palm Beach County to serve Palm Beach County. Previously, we had Broward County people to serve us. And I think for us, when people see that, when kids see that, they go, if he can do it, then I can do it, right? That moment where I was never excited about politics ever, uh, but it was 2008 when Barack Obama won the presidency, like for real, won the presidency, that I seriously thought, wow, maybe I can get involved in maybe, and I'm already, I was at the time I was already a planner and I knew how to uh, look at land use and developments and speak before groups of people. Uh, So I figured, you know what, that might be an opportunity for me in the future. Who knew (laughs) from 2008 that I would become a legislative aide for Mac Bernard in 2009 and then in 2012, become a state representative. So even when you got involved with um, Mac Bernard, what was that process like? Did you just get up one day and say, I want to be part of this? Like, what is that process to be part of, you were his campaign manager then? Or what did you, how did you got involved with Mac Bernard? I was, so I was a part of the Westside Civic Association in Riviera Beach, where we would go to, meetings in our community to discuss issues that would come before the city council. I was also involved in. Why um, would you even involved with that? Because I cared about my community and I wanted to see what was going on and I wanted to have a voice, right? People will say things all the time. Why don't we have a park in our neighborhood? But even that, why Bobby that goes to fam and a track and field, all these things you did, why did you want to get involved or why did you want to better your community? I think it's innate that everybody should have a desire to improve the places where they are operating at. Right. And that's constant. There's a concept that uh, Willie Jolly, I just saw a book out there called attitude of excellence, but he calls it. Can I constantly and never ending improvement? C A N E I constantly and never ending improvement. And when you think about it like that, Each one of us has an ability to have an effect on improving the environments and improving the spaces in which we operate. What you're doing right now by doing podcasts, by uh, providing people an opportunity to speak out, by providing the equipment and the positions and the jobs for people, you are consistently and constantly improving the spaces in which you operate. When you go out and you meet people and you talk to people and you network and you share with them, you're allowing opportunities for improvement and opportunities for not just for you, but for them to improve the environments in which they operate. So it's a desire of mine to always, wherever I go, to leave that place better than it was when I found it. Did you get that from anybody? Did somebody else teach you that? You know, it's something that I picked up from from life, from watching my mother operate, watching, uh, going through Florida a University, and, and watching the impact that serving and helping other people had on them, right? Because everybody is not capable of doing some of the things that we are capable of. And when we're able to um, give back and to see people thrive, then I feel more empowered. So, and I say that to say, I'm never going to be jealous of your success ever. I'm going to be excited for you I'm going to be proud of you and I'm going to look at what you've done 
to allow me to know that in the space that I operate, that I'm I'm able to excel because the way the universe is set up and the way God works is what's going to be for you is going to be for you. But jealousy is not a spirit of the Lord. Neither is fear. And when you operate in jealousy and fear, you'll constantly see yourself tearing down others. By while te- but while tearing down others, you're also tearing down yourself because you're sowing seeds. Whether if you're sowing seeds of fear, seeds of jealousy, seeds of animosity, those seeds grow. And you think that they're growing in the ground, but they're growing inside of you. And when they grow inside of you, you could never be successful to the way you're supposed to be because you planted seeds inside of your body that you didn't realize you planted. And those seeds are called jealousy. Those seeds are called envy and they multiply. They manifest tenfold. And you can't reach the places where you're able to go or you should go when you've planted those seeds. And I can tell you a lot of people here in Palm Beach County who, you know, have planted those seeds. And, you know, you can't, I can't control what's in a person's heart because they plant those seeds. They think that they're planting and pushing them on other people. So those people won't be successful, but they stumped and fooled themselves and held themselves down. So I guess to get back to knowing how you're going to get there and wanting to get there, it's just that feeling of seeing somebody else do well or learn something or get something because you were able to give information or to provide a service that they needed. Was that how the whole thing with Mac Bernard started? We're bringing him value or being of an aid to get to that next level or? No. So, so I met Mac Bernard at um, a literacy coalition event. I mean, I was involved. I was doing a lot of stuff in the community. You was already putting in the work. I was putting in the work. I was interested like I got a kick out of being around people and, and contributing. So I met Mac Bernard at a literacy coalition event and he said, let's do lunch. I thought that was something that people just said. But he actually was, meant to go. He, he actually he, meant he, to. He did. And yeah. I mean it too now. Right. So right. if I say let's do lunch, I really do mean it. You really meant that. Okay, and I pay it. for lunch. Right. Oh, even bigger. Right. I can't so, wait for you to tell me let's do lunch. Let's, <laughs> let's do lunch. Can't right? wait. <laughs> and um, with that, with that being said, um, what I, I learned and what I saw is I was involved and I was volunteering. And there is very few people around who are like me today because many people who are doing stuff are looking for what they can get out of it. But by volunteering and being involved, um, people were blessing me by allowing me seats at their tables. Now, there were people who were afraid. Like if I asked for a meeting with certain council members or commissioners, they didn't want to meet with me because they thought that I wanted something from them, but I wanted to add value to them. But why would I be doing all of this for free? Right. So the opportunity presented itself to work on Mac Bernard's campaign. And at the time he was running against um, councilman Cedric Thomas in Riviera beach, who I consider a, a friend and who I consider a good um, at the time, a good councilman. Right. But I saw a, difference between him and Mac and I thought Mac was somebody who I wanted to emulate at some point so I worked on his campaign there were no guarantees but what made you see Mac as the ideal person you want to emulate what value and what he what did he do different or not even different what did he do you know what Mac would have to tell you his story because this 
it's beyond me to share other people's stories, but he's got a really, he has a really good story in terms of how he got to where he is and the things that he went through to get to where he's at. You would have to pull that out of him. So his story inspires you to be around him. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you see a person and you don't realize or recognize the challenges that they had to get to where they are. And stories inspire. Stories move people. We, we change because of the power of story, right? And that's with anybody. You hear a story or you see a person and you know their story. And a lot of times it inspires you to do things that you sometimes thought you were not capable of. And you'll go, wow, if this person came from that place and was able to move to that place, then who am I to say that I can't? I mean, literally, I'm, I'm in Tallahassee one day in grad school on the elevator, tired. I don't want no more, right? I don't want it. I'm saying. You had enough. I've, I'm, I've had enough. Grad school is just not for me. People said that grad school was it's easier than undergrad. Those people. They're lying to you. They're lying. <laughs> they're not telling the truth. But we, I get on the elevator and there's a lady with a dog. And she's blind. And she is going to class and she is happy-go-lucky. Hold on. There's a lady in the elevator with a dog and she's blind. And she's going to class. Going to class. Carry on. Not upset. Not. And if she can go to class. And get a degree as a blind person. And I've got all my faculties and the only thing that's wrong with me is I'm tired. Then I can keep it moving. And if you watch any graduating class from a university, you will see people crossing the stage in wheelchairs. People, some people crossing the stage with no limbs, either no arms or no legs. If they can figure out how to finish college without hands and you got, you got everything, 10 fingers and you can't do it. You got to go back and check yourself. You got to check yourself. Because people are doing it. There's a young man. You may know him. He owned um, he owned a plaza in Lake Park. I can't think of his name off the top of my head right now. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. He used about. to paint with his mouth. Oh, I never knew that. He used to. He was disabled. And he would paint pictures. He paint, I believe he painted a picture of Barack Obama with his mouth. Wow. I know. I definitely know. I, AJ. I AJ. AJ. Yeah, he's definitely, from what I've witnessed, a strong businessman, and he has dis- disabilities. But I want—I don't want to go because I know we're—I see what we're doing. I see what we're going through right now. But I want to go into legislative with Mac Bernard, how you got to that position, and say, you know what, Mac, I love what you're doing. I'm going to support you. I want to be involved. I want to learn. What the heck does a legislative? A does and what is a legislative position like what's that responsibility what was Mac Bernard's responsibilities then so I'm gonna shorten it up because I think I've been a little bit long-winded so Mac Bernard was elected to he was a he was a city commissioner in Delray and you you may also know that Mac Bernard is also an attorney a tax attorney and when he was running for state rep Priscilla Taylor had vacated her seat as she was appointed to the county commission by then Governor Charlie Chris. So Mac Bernard is running for the seat, and I thought he had an amazing pedigree. 
I'm out here volunteering and working and doing different things. He approached me about working on his campaign. No guarantees. Not, I'm going to hire you. Not, hey, you could be my legislative aide. Not, I'm going to pay you. Uh, no guarantees other than, hey, if you work on my campaign, I'll look out for you. That That's saying I'll look out for you whether you win or lose, right? And that's not something that I'm expecting because when you set your standards up for a major expectation, a lot of times you, you've, you're forced to fall. And I decided to support Mac Bernard's campaign and help campaign with him and knock on doors because I thought it would be something different and I thought it would be fun to do. And getting involved in the process, you can see it from afar, but being involved in the process, I thought was a lot more interesting and a better opportunity to, to learn constantly and never ending improvement. From working on his campaign, he was elected. And after being elected, we talked and we discussed a position in his office. And he told me to send him the application. And so you volunteered for him. I volunteered. Not for free. For free. No money involved. Volunteer. You put in the work in hopes you that you might get a position in his office. I didn't even hope for a position, right? Because I'm a, I have a master's degree in planning, urban planning from Florida State University and a bachelor's in public relations from Florida A&M University. So I also believe I have a good skill set. So I'm not begging or hoping that anybody will give me anything. People will see me and say, you know, there's an opportunity to improve what I'm doing, right? Because I believe that, I'm an addition and a multiplier to any team that I join. So it's not that I'm hoping that you give me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm the reason I'm <laughs> laughing because I have a saying that might not work with this conversation, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyways because that's who I am. I have a saying that says, good dope sell itself. Correct. But you're a senator. So I don't think this was the right timing. That's, this was wrong with me, but carry on. No, right. If you know what you got and you know who you are, so, I mean, and that's not to be cocky or arrogant. It's to say that. But you know, what you got? I, I know. And the opportunity presented itself. And Mac Bernard is a smart man because if you look at who he chose to be his legislative assistants at the time, everybody went on. Like, he chose myself, Rep Representative Al Jaquette. And, you know, after Mac was elected, Al Jaquette eventually, who was a legislative aide, ran for Delray Beach City Commission and won. And yeah. I ran for state rep and won. And then after me, Al Jaquette Pretty ran for pedigree. state rep and won. So Al at the time was, and still is, was an attorney. Al is an attorney. So, you know, you, Mac wow. Bernard was 35 years old. Now, actually, he was under 30. He was 33, I think. And both myself and Al were in our 20s. And everybody in his office, it was three black men, all with advanced degrees. What you talking about? Smart move. What are you talking about? Smart move. But now let's get to the part that I think I want to know and a lot of people I know, my friends especially, what the heck does a state representative do? The main thing we have to do is pass a balanced budget. We bring home the money. This year we passed $113 billion budget and we get money in the budget. The second thing that we're responsible for is fighting on behalf of our community to fight against negative legislation. So when you say a state representative... 
there's the councilman, then Mike Bernard became a state representative. You were a state representative. That responsibility is to go out there, and allocate dollars to bring back into their community that you represent. There's levels to this. Absolutely. But there's state, local, and federal. Federal is your Congress level where you have uh, your U.S. Congress and your U.S. Senate. We operate in a bicameral legislature. There's 435 members of the floor of the U.S. House of Reps and 100 senators. At the state level, there's 40 state senators and 120 state representatives. Mac Bernard was one of 120 in the state of Florida. I was a legislative aide for Mac, and when I became elected, I was one of 120. Were you a state representative same time Mac Bernard was a state representative? No. He decided to run for state Senate. And unfortunately, this is why we say every vote counts. He lost the Senate race by, I think, 13 votes. I mean, it went to court in everything. And I won the state rep race. uh, And the state representative. So you took his seat. I took his seat. I didn't take his seat. I took the seat for the district. You did your job and got the district that you were going for. Right. He was going to go up to be a Senate. Correct. Fell short. Correct. The 13 votes. Um, what do you do next after that? Because this that's the, what the state representative. Then you became, what was your next position? I went from being the legislative aide to the state rep. I mean, to the point where I, I got on the elevator and one of my colleagues, who was also a legislative aide, saw me on the elevator. He goes, he, he knew my boss wasn't there. He goes, Bobby, who are you working for this year? And I'm like, working for me. That's me? when they all change up. I'm working for me. And he kind of laughed like, huh. Yeah, yeah, right, Bobby, sure. So then we go into the caucus room on the third floor, and there's a table Bobby, that. Um, sorry, wrong guy. What is the caucus room? Yeah, wrong guy. Sorry. The caucus is all of the Democratic state representatives and their legislative staff. That's where they hang out. So at. that's that's where we go into like the war room to discuss strategy or pre-meetings. So we go into the caucus room and I sit at the table with the, the reps in. So the, the guy comes dog. up to me, he goes, oh my God, representative, I'm so sorry. Because you're taught to be very humble and like, well, at the time you're taught to be humble. These people today are kind of, you know, different. different. But you, you're called representative. So I'm Bobby, but they called me representative at the time. Representative, representative. If you're an aide, you're conditioned no matter if we were just aides together last year, to call the state representative's representative. And he's like, representative, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that you were the representative. And I was like, brother, chill. I'm so still wait, me. We, I was going to ask you that. When did you realize that you're a state representative? That's a good question. It's a real one. Because um, Bobby so, Paul from Riviera Beach, that did all that work, that put in all that free work, that grinded everything. Even, matter of fact, go back. Even when you were a legislative assistant, how did it feel to represent and come into that room? Like, because I... Oh, oh, Because something amazing. I've never seen. Amazing. You're going into the Capitol. So I was happy, right? And people will say, well, you became a state representative. How does it feel to be a state representative? I mean, brother, I'm from Riviera Beach. Everything that I was able to accomplish with the help of God is a, a milestone, right? When you're from Riviera Beach, although we had a good childhood, uh, my sister 
my oldest sister, my older sister went to college, but she went to the Fashion Institute down in Fort Lauderdale, um, the Art Institute, and then she went to New York. And people from New York operate differently. I, I mean, it's just, when you go to New York, you gotta, you gotta, like even the homeless people operate differently, right? It's a different culture. It's a different, it's, it's, it's a, a different, different environment. Lifestyle. But my sister didn't go to a four-year university. So when I went to the four-year university, I mean, I'm the first person from my immediate family to hit a four-year university. What you talking about? So people will say, you know, everything that we've able, we're able to accomplish, I'm, I'm happy. We, we talk about D1 when we're in high school. Oh, I'm going D1. All my friends, I'm going D1. I'm going D1. I went D1 on the track and field team. And 2002, we won the MEAC championship. So I have a, a championship ring that I wear sometimes, not talk often. about it, Bobby. I think you're talking your talk right now. Right. So go ahead. Like talk your talk. Talk your talk. So Bobby, then, keep going. Let's talk about it. Um, the feeling. You you graduate from college. Most of the people you know from home don't graduate. And then on top of that, it's from FAMU, which is a place that people have heard of because of the band and, and because of the classic, but they have not attended. So you're like, I graduated from FAMU. I have a MEAC championship ring. I walked onto a track and field team, D1, and earned a scholarship in something I don't even do, which was pole vault, right? I pole vaulted. Doesn't sound like a lot of us pole vault. Not at all. I got a scholarship for it. Then to graduate with a degree and then turn around and be accepted into Florida State University, the Florida State, they say, and to earn a master's degree in urban and regional planning, something that I didn't even know existed. So every accomplishment is is meaningful, but when you accomplish these things, it's like okay, uh, we did that. We expected that. You wanted more. We, I don't know if you want more, but you know you can do, right? So becoming a state representative, I was happy to be there, but it wasn't like oh my god, I became a state representative because I knew who I was. I knew who I could be. I once had a problem at a job because. Uh, I had a job job where uh, my boss said to me, you know what your problem is? I didn't know I had a problem. Right. I didn't know. I, I got a problem? I'm, I was shocked. She said, your problem is you think you're here. Like put her hand over her head. But you're really right here. And my response was, this is all about your attitude. I looked at her and I said, okay, you need me to do something? Like, she, and walked I off. Didn't hear what she... You didn't hear what she said? Oh, she couldn't have been talking to me. She was talking at me. Because the problem with people is we get in our feelings because we think that somebody, you think people who are not for you are sometimes going to pour life into you. See, life and death abide in the power of the tongue. And whoever you allow to speak over you, you allow to control you. And when you know whose you are, you don't allow people who don't mean you any good to speak life or to speak anything into you. So my response was, is there something you need me to do? Okay. No? All right, thanks. And walk off. So you didn't hear what she told you? You still didn't? That was for her. Oh, she wasn't talking to you. <laughs> it couldn't have been, Clearly. right? <laughs> Clearly, Clearly, you can't be talking to me. What was right? I thinking about? Right. So, but when you actually sat down and you really realized you were, I don't, like, I don't know, Bobby, like, to me, it sounds. When you become state representative, let me tell you the first thing that happens. The night you win the election, you get a phone call from your competitors, your opponents. And they say, hey, congratulations. You ran a good race. You won. And I got that phone call from two people. The third person is yet to call, even though I see them now. Um, 
but it's okay, right? I'm over that. And the the numbers spoke for themselves because the campaign is hard. You go through a campaign and you're dealing with all kinds of emotions. One of the emotions is sometimes the people you're running against, it's hard because you think, this is my my friend. Or, this is a person who I or care about. Or- I know, and I don't want to see this person hurt. And in a campaign, if you don't know the person, it's like, whatever. Like when I ran against, well, I don't say I ran against, but when we were in a race together in 2016, it was myself and and Michael Steinger. I didn't know that dude. I knew, I knew he tried me, right? And I knew. Hold on, did Rivia beat Bobby just came? Oh, you from the Raw? What happened, Bobby? He tried you. He disrespected me. <laughs> I knew that. Yes, I knew that. Right? And um, I knew he tried me. That was unacceptable. That was it. Was unacceptable. Mm. Um, now how do you guys receive that? Because I see that a lot. How do you guys take the disrespect? You take it. That's a part of what that's you. That's part of the game. That's a part of it. That's why I'm not built for this. I'm weak. That's no. I'm weak. A hundred percent. Because there, there is there a limit. Is there any restriction of what you can't talk about? Yes. I have never... my family, and that's why. But I tr- who creates that rule? You or does politics create that rule? People have to know boundaries, right? And when they think it's okay. To you know better. You grew up. Yeah, you know whose rule is that? Is that a political thing? You cannot talk about family. It's the it's the universal rule of the world. When we're kids in elementary school, you are definitely good at this. You don't talk about somebody. Your mama will get you knocked out. But in politics, they could say your mama, but and is get there, knocked out, or they still get have consequences. There's possibilities for a lot, a lot of consequences. Okay. People fight in politics. You're they not, may not do it on TV. Oh, unless yeah, we'll, but, we won't touch that. Sometime. Yeah, we'll just pass that on. So I, I think for me, I, I promise you, I never like that process that I've watched several times of just politicians back and forth at each other. And I was always wondering, like, like when you see him in the elevator, do you just say good morning after he talked about your moms or your cousin? And your is that like a regular thing? That's the number. I'll go with one for you on that one. If let's just put it like this: if a person talks about my mom or my family, we're not gonna be on the same elevator. That's not gonna happen. So you created your own rules in this. I think it's universal. I think, I I believe that everybody's got the same set of rules. And if you cross boundaries and campaigns have been known to cross boundaries, um, you've got to be very careful. And I believe like, you know, people don't run for office because they say, Oh, I've got skeletons. If you've lived on this earth, you've had something bad happen in your life. Like hundred percent. You, you, nobody is perfect. Nope. When I was getting ready to run, somebody told me, you know, nobody's perfect, you know, and and we all have skeletons. I'm going to turn over every stone, you know, to make sure. And that's what they say. I'm going to turn over every stone to make you look bad or whatever. And the result was. Okay. Just realize while you're turning over stones, be careful. You live in a glass house. Mm. 
So don't think you're going to turn over stones and you're going to go unscathed. And my thing is I'm always positive. I'm a positive person and I'll give people like one or two free shots. I'm not going to attack you. We already know what position we're coming from. We're coming very strong. We've got a lot of community support and a lot of involvement in the community. So granted, if you're running against me, you're going to take a shot or two. I'm okay with that because I'm standing on a hill sometimes and people in the valley and they're throwing rocks. They got to try to throw rocks up the hill. So when are you starting your church? Because the bars you're kicking, it sounds like you ready to open up a church soon. I, I go to Gray's Temple CME. So you I used to go to Christian go. Temple AME. Okay. Um, but <laughs> I, I mean, I'm deeply rooted. One of the best pieces of advice I got, of advice I got when I was running for office the first time was by Pastor Verona Higgins Matthews. And she said to me, which was profound, because she once ran for county commissioner. And she said that when you run for office, excuse me, when you run for office, you find out who your true friends are and who your true friends aren't. And when you learn that, you learn how to operate. So we get caught up in running for office and thinking that everybody who says they love you, love you until you get elected or uh, and, and, until you run for office. And then you find out some of those people who you thought were going to be with you are not. And then when you get elected, everybody loves you again. How many times did you get elected as a state representative? Because it was a couple of terms you ran as state representative. Two. Two, Two terms. Is that maximized no. or you could actually run? I could have been elected for eight years. So wow. the fact that right now I've been elected in the Senate for six, I would have termed out of the state house in 20, 2020. Would have been my, I would have been done. But the fact that I've made it two more years since 2022, um, I was only guaranteed eight years. So anything above and beyond that is a blessing, is a gift. So if I run this year and I lose, I'm not upset. I was guaranteed. Or I was, I came in with the opportunity to have eight years and I've been blessed to be in 10 years and the potential to be in another four more. So am I upset about it? Absolutely not. So after state rep and you decide to run for Senate. Correct. Is there a, what's the difference between state representative and the Senate? More influence, less people. The same. More work, same pay. So, so a state representative makes decisions for or bringing access and tool, resources back into their community. The state representative is doing the same thing in a different capacity. On the other side of the aisle. I mean, on the other side of the building. So the Senate is on this side and the House is on that side. And there's 120 members of the House. So in order to pass good legislation, things have to pass in both the House and the Senate. Uh, parallel legislation. It goes through the committees in the House, goes through the committees in the Senate. At the end, it goes to the floor of either the House or the Senate. If it goes to the Senate, we'll take the House version and lay it on the table and take the, you know, and use the House version of the bill in the Senate. It passes. It then goes to the governor who either signs it, vetoes it, or lets it pass by not doing anything. All legislation should go through both the House and the Senate. It's bicameral, so that it's supposed to. So if you push something in the House and there's no Senate sponsor, it's not going to pass. If I push something in the Senate and there's no House sponsor, it won't make it to the floor. 
Now, the key to that is being able to work with members of the House. So there's 40 senators, 120 state representatives. You have to do the work in the Senate of almost three representatives. And you have to have a good staff and a good team of people who will help you get the job done. And the House is just as important because they're reading bills too. I will tell you though, it's going into the Senate is not easy, but going from the house to the Senate makes it more digestible. Going into the Florida house, I will tell you for a person, I was a legislative aide before going into the house. So I knew the process. However, there were people who went into the legislative process without knowing how it is. And that process ate them up. It is hard to be a state representative. You're meeting with people back to back all day, almost every day. When you said meeting with people, like who, what? like You're what? meeting with stakeholders. You're meeting with utility companies. You're meeting with people from your district. You're meeting with... Um, what's your responsibility for that other than hearing their fight, their war, whatever they're going to? To listen to their vantage point and their viewpoint on things that you don't necessarily have an expertise on. And, either and then you got to make a decision. You make on that. a decision. The bill has come before your committee. Let's say abortion, for example. So you're going to have the Catholic bishops organization is going to come to you, and they're going to tell you how um, abortion is bad, and you know you could be if someone has an abortion, they could be aborting the next president of the, or they could be aborting the a future Senate. president, or they could be aborting a, you know, uh, it's something they'll say, right? <laughs> but at the same time, you know, people have complications sometimes from pregnancy pregnancies that could end their lives, or there may be an issue with this pregnancy where that child is not even viable. You're going to force somebody to take it to term that that's, un, you know, unreasonable, but you'll get the side and then you'll get maybe Planned Parenthood will come and talk to you. So everyone's advocating for their side, for example. And if you're on a committee where there's a few people, let's say four Republicans, I'm just giving this is not how a committee mm -hmm. is it's set up with more people than that. But there's four Republicans and three Democrats. Um, that's seven people total. All three, let's say all three Democrats are going to vote against this bill. That's an abortion bill. And all four Republicans are going to vote against it, are going to vote for it. But there's one Republican who is wavering. That person has the ability to change whether that bill moves or doesn't. Now, generally what will happen is the leadership or the chair of the committee will force that individual who's a Republican or to kind of talk to him and say, Hey, you don't vote against this. You know, we want to get it to the next committee. You also, you'll hear sometimes uh, legislators say, I really don't like this bill, but just to get it to the next committee, I know I want to see you make some changes. Uh, I'm going to support it today, but I'll reserve the right to vote against it later. And so that means I'm a vote for it, but it means I'm going to vote for it because you're Republican and I'm Republican. So is do you believe some people will still make a decision how to, how they feel or they're most likely voting of whatever gang they're in? Some people do. But a lot of times people are groupthink, right? There's There's been times when I've been on the board in the Senate and in the House where I was the only one who voted against a particular bill. 39 yeas, one nay, Mr. President. And it's we already me. know who it is. They no, they, they don't know who it is, but I, it's only been like a few times that has been me. But I believe if I believe something, if I have an issue, I can back that up as to why I voted no. Right. And I can support my belief. 
and I don't have a problem doing that. And I'm not afraid, right? You voted no on this bill. I've had people tell me, you voted yes or you voted no, and they'll see me. Most people don't know what we're voting on, but some people follow special bills, and they'll come and see me at a meeting and tell me that they're mad at me because I voted yes or because I voted no. And they'll say, I'm going to find, you know, you're going to have an opponent in whatever year. And that's fine. I'm okay with that. Like even that process, you got to go back home and deal with this. When does it end? Like when does politics end for a senator? Never. Never. You find free moments. And the good thing is, see, so first of all, most people, most people don't even know who you are sometimes like, so you can get away. You know, I put on a ball cap and some sunglasses and regular clothes. And people, I would definitely know it's you, Bobby. You would, but would everybody? Duh. Facts. Somebody did catch me in the grocery store on Thanksgiving and was like, I see you. I'm like, wait, so it's really that serious. So just going to the grocery store, you got to talk about some type of politics. Yeah. You find, you find ways to get, I'll tell you, I know how celebrities operate and I got some friends who are celebrities, but I know how they operate. So you like, for instance, if I'm going to a box store, I'm not going to mention the name unless they are sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> I like that. You, you go to a box store and you enter through the garden section, right? Because that's where less people are. And then you don't walk through the main aisles. You walk through aisles where there's stuff. Like you walk through the clothes and then you walk to where you need to go. You get what you need to go and you walk back through and you walk out or this you go right. shopping early in the morning and late at night. Early is they open. Late is they're getting ready to close. So most people are not there. It's not the meat of time. But when you go shopping during the daytime at four or five o'clock, everybody's stopping you to talk to you about something. So especially when you were just on the news. Oh, it's got to be even better. But you, because you have to live in that district anyway. Also, you do. So you can't. Work here and live in Boca. No. You have to live there. So you have to deal with your community. You could, but when they expose you. Yeah, it's a little different. But yeah, right, right. I've seen a lot of that growing around this community. But even what about when you go to your family's house? Like when does, when are you not a, a senator? So when you go to your family's house, you're just trying to chill. And there are people who allow you to do so. But then there are people who want to, who would like to speak about politics or to speak about their business ideas. Even Cousin Ray Ray that have never talked politics. Right. But they, or they want to talk about business ideas. Cause oh, you one of those cousins that you get politics and business ideas? You know what it is. I oh, let me, been oh let me talk to you about something. I mean, I need a job. I'm like, no, you don't. Because I can't get you a job. I know I can't plug you on with nobody right now. I know you. I know. <laughs> I'm definitely not using my name with that one. So, but so, where does it stop? Only when you go home and you close your door, you turn off your phone, and that's the only time it stops. You have to you have to set boundaries and limits because if you don't, um, your phone will continue to buzz. And if you respond to every text, you know you have to be okay with not responding to every text. You have to be okay with sometimes people being a little bit up, upset with you. But I'll tell people if you text me seven times or call me seven times and I don't respond, that means I don't want to talk to you. But 
you know, if you hit me once and people will really text me once or call me once and I don't respond and they'll see me four weeks later with an attitude. I don't know why they have an attitude and I have to apologize to them. But in my head, I'm like, you call the state senator who represents more than a half a million people in the state of Florida. I represent everywhere from West Palm Beach to Royal Palm Beach to the town of Palm Beach up to Jupiter, Juno, to Cuesta, Palm Beach Gardens, Riviera Beach, Mangonia Park, all these different areas, Lake Park, 500,000 people plus. So it's totally different from a councilman that represent Palm Beach Gardens. You represent all those communities. So you have to meet with all those communities. We do. Are you meeting with the leaders in those communities or more? So you're doing all of it. Wow. Business leaders, community leaders, city council, city administration. Generally, after legislative session, we go and do a legislative update to every community. And generally, because they know my time is tight, they will allow us to do our legislative update first and, you know, be able to get out of there or go to the next meeting. There's only been one time in the 10 years that I've been elected and it happened recently where I went to do a legislative update with the state representative and the chair of the council made us wait three hours. You can figure that one out. I don't want to. It would it won't be it won't be a good thing. So so you literally you're going to Tallahassee how many days a week? Ooh. When we're in time. So what does that mean in time also? That means that's during legislative time where we're going up preparing for special preparing for session. When you guys are voting on different when things. Ready you guys to are vote. doing the work. Is there a certain time this to happen? It's when you guys generally between, so this year it'll be between November and March, April, May, November and May. So we do. So more. November to May? Right. What does November to May look like for you as a senator? So in November, we will be reelected. God willing, I get reelected. Then I will go to session. I'll go to Tallahassee for swearing in and organizational session. Which is always a special time, but I've been through it a lot, right? It's no longer new to me. And I'll be sworn in as a senator for the time it's this? Third time, I think. Bless. So I'll be sworn in again as a senator. And if we have committees, we'll do committee and we'll do all the organizational ceremonies. And also in November, we'll probably have to go back up there for another committee week. That's what How many called. days are you up there for just a sworn in? Probably three, right? But I leave on a Sunday. I'll be up there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, drive home Thursday, or drive home Wednesday night. So you're leaving your family? Yes. It was a time I was in Tallahassee for a session where you're up there 60 days. And on a Sunday morning, my wife called me, and my baby was maybe a year and a half or two. Maybe she just turned two. And her mom, my wife, said, um, oh, The baby misses you. She wants to talk to you. I told her we can do FaceTime. She said, I don't want no FaceTime daddy. I want my real daddy. (laughs) I get in the car. Well, you do. You get in the car. You drive home. And you have a one-day trip home. Get in the car. Drive home Sunday to turn around and come back Monday morning. Four o'clock in the morning, Monday, I got in the car, drove to Tallahassee so I could be there by 10. 10 on Tuesday. 10 on Monday. Oh. I had a meeting. So. So the 60 days, you guys are there 60 days straight? Correct. You, you can, you can come home. Did you know you were signing up for that? Absolutely. 
See, here's the problem. A lot of people run for state rep because or state senator because they think the title's really cool. Gonna be state senator. But there's work that's involved in it. It's a lot of work behind it. There's people who've run for local elected offices and they fizzled out because they didn't realize that they had to actually do the work. It sounds good, the title, right? State senator. Say just tell people out there, practice this, right? State senator and say your name. State Senator Johnny Brown. You like it sounds good. Sounds amazing. State Senator. And then stay up tonight. Read legislative books until one o'clock in the morning. Go to sleep, wake up, and start writing a bill. And then call yourself State Senator Johnny Brown. It, it has you a little different ring. You have to write the bill also. Absolutely. Absolutely. You propose language to legislation, you research it. And then you, we also have bill drafting that will draft bills for you and put it in the proper format. But a lot of times, listen, let me tell you, I would have stopped right there and then. <laughs> like this is not for me. It ain't for everybody, but nothing is right. Here we go. But at at what point is this an enjoying thing, or is this what I feel like I'm responsible to do? It's two. It's it's twofold. There are. There are parts that we enjoy, right? But there's a responsibility, and that responsibility is you have to serve your community in ways that they expect. So if you're going to be the state senator after me, you've got you got a three-legged table you need to do, right? You need to make sure you're bringing money and appropriations back to the district. You need to accelerate the out-of-office experiences, when I say out of office experiences, that means people should see you inside of your district other than election time, meaning you should be going to some chamber breakfast. You should go to churches. You should if there's somebody having something in the community, you should show up in the community, sometimes sit down with people, talk to them, break bread. Them, um, Put that's, in the work. That's the out of office experience. And then the third thing is um, the legislative part in terms of filing and passing bills. So you appropriate, you legislate, and you deal with your community. If a person is elected and is not doing that, they are not serving you. They are sometimes serving themselves. And I've had issues with other elected officials who who I did not believe were serving the people to the best of their ability. And, and you know, not I don't do it in public, but as a senior, believe it or not, like right now I'm one of the senior statesmen, as a young man, senior statesman, in terms of the, this community and serving people who can have conversations with people that are sometimes uncomfortable, you got to do better. And I would appreciate if people have those conversations with me. You didn't show up to this. You didn't show up to that. What's going on? What can we do together to make sure that we are working together for this community? You know, how do you, I, I mean, I think a lot of people talk about balance. It's hard for me to even understand what that is. How does home raising a daughter you have? Correct. Raising a daughter, newly married, what you about three, four years now? What, wrong, don't worry about it. I'm gonna save guys. I want to save guys with that question. Don't worry I know, about it. No, right? Yeah, it's one. Yeah, let me just it's been a that. minute. It's been a minute. Um, you guys are married. But how do you create I, I guess it's balance, I'm supposed to ask? Like, Correct. Like how does that happen? Because you're gone for 60 days out of the year. Monday through Friday, but you go home on the weekend. I'm assuming that's what how it goes. Right. Like how being away from home, how challenging is that? You it's like playing sports, right? If you played in the NFL, you would have to be away from home while you're in season 
So when you are home, you make the best of it. You enjoy those times when you're home. And like when you're not in session or you're not going up there, you really enjoy those times, right? You spend that time with your, your wife and your daughter and you have family time. You sit and you eat dinner at the table together, right? You go places together and you operate together. And the outside world, sometimes you have to have family time. You put the phone down, right? You put the computer down. You enjoy each other. Enjoy just being. And a lot of times people don't get that. I got a call Sunday uh, from someone talking politics. And at some point I just was like, hey, my daughter is standing here while I'm cutting collard greens. And you're telling me about somebody else's campaign. I was like, I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying. It has to be that real now. What do you, you know, you're calling me about another person's campaign to tell me to tell somebody else. You're calling the state senator, right? There's U.S. Congress. No, that's the president. <laughs> U.S. Congress. State Senate, State House, County Committee. You're calling me on a Sunday while I'm cutting greens trying to, to talk about somebody else's campaign. So but people don't people don't have sometimes, you know, common sense isn't so common. Definitely not. That's that's a fact. When do you get to disconnect though? Because you have to now make that decision, like, I'm not even gonna deal with this political thing. Because I'm taking care of my family. When you get home and you turn that phone off and when you choose not to answer, you everything is a choice. Life is a choice. No, I'm not going to say that. Somebody said that. Remember what, what Kanye said? Everything is a choice. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The phone is a choice. Whether you pick this up or not, that's a choice. If you decide to pick it up and respond, that's a choice. Oh, if I don't text such and such right now they're going to be immediately angry with me that's i don't see how that's a bobby powell problem how you feel because i did not text you immediately is not my problem and when you see me in the streets and you say i text you or the best one is i emailed you yesterday and you didn't respond god bless was your wife prepared for this my wife is a beast in her own right so, yeah, I, my wife is on Zooms every day almost. My wife is, was the chapter president of her sorority, and my wife is, she serves as the president of her um, bar organization. So my wife is also high-functioning. Like, she puts in the work. She goes beast mode. Sometimes people don't even know that. Like, they see her with me, and they're like, oh, y'all are such a cute couple. But little know she got, she's a beast. She's a beast. Like you thought, you think that was important for you to connect? Absolutely. High functioning. Absolutely. Absolutely. I dated someone before who was sitting around waiting on me. Like a person has to be able to operate inside of themselves and know that we together we make each other happy. But if you're depending on your spouse only to make you happy, you're not going to be a happy person. So you've got to do things. You have to have your own identity. And the problem that sometimes people have in relationships is their identity is solely focused on who they are as a couple. We thrive as a couple. 
but we also know how to operate in our own individual capacities. So my wife is an attorney. I'm not an attorney, which I think works because, I mean, I could imagine us debating in law, right? <laughs> so she thrives in her capacity and I thrive in mine. She doesn't have a desire to be elected. But I think, you know, <laughs> judge might be nice, right? Right, right, right. But you have to have that, that when we say balance, you have to have the ability to come together and have a life, but also a person has their own skill sets and their things that they're doing to make themselves happy and also to operate in their own world. If a person's simply sitting around waiting for you, they, they're going to be upset with you right now, right? You're, you should be home right now. You know, you went to work, you should come right home. No, you've got to have your own things to do as well. So you're busy, you're occupied. You're not just basking in the, the basking in the fact that you're a couple. Another piece, you still are a planner. How does working your employer have to understand your position? Or not have to, but my employer is great. I mean, they allow me the opportunity to go to Tallahassee. I'm working on real projects, real projects. We just finished doing an uh two million square foot Amazon building building. Um we are working on a number of, you know, large scale projects um, and I'm immensely involved. And um, but when it's time for me to go to Tallahassee, I, I'm able to work with other people in the firm and on the team to pass some of those projects and to, you know, go to Tallahassee. So you're in Tallahassee working on the projects, still dealing with home. So you just decided to be a superhero. You know, you do what you have to do. You make things happen. Things, it's, you know what Les Brown says? It's possible. It's possible. Impossible is nothing. Possible. If it can be done, you can do it. It's possible. Did you know all this was going to happen when you made that decision to be state representative? No. I didn't know anything was going to happen. I didn't expect. I went for the ride. I didn't expect anything, so I wasn't disappointed in anything. So when you don't expect certain things, you're not disappointed. And Maybe I should change that because I believe if I work hard and if I do the right things and I'm in the right places, I expect great things to happen to me. I do. But I'm not set up on if something doesn't pan out that I'm going to be disappointed with my life and say, oh, that didn't work. I'm so disappointed. I'm so dismayed. How can I move forward? Things happen. Bad things happen. Good things happen. I, when I was elected, I didn't expect for my nephew to, uh, w you know, be hit by a train. I didn't expect for my sister to pass away. I didn't expect for, you know, one of my cousins who was younger than me to pass away. You don't expect those things, but it, life happens. And when you know that, you can't get caught up in it. It hurts, but you have to figure out how you're going to move forward and you have to get it out. You have to recognize and realize that this is a pain that doesn't go away today and it's going to be with you for a long time, but you have to, you have to learn how to operate in that pain and still to go to your purpose, um, knowing your purpose and sometimes not asking for permission to operate in your purpose allows you to be successful. The problem that a lot of us have is we think we have to ask for permission to operate in our purpose. So you've got this dream. 
God has given you an idea and you want to go after it. But you think before I do it, case in point, young man who wanted to run for state representative to talk to me, but said he had to ask his boss at the time if it was okay if he did that. He's asking for permission to operate in his purpose. The way it's supposed to work is when God gives you a vision, whether you are successful or not, you go after it because the growth is not in the success. The growth is in the process. Deep. Think about it. When I ran for state rep the first time, I was prepared when I ran against Michael Steinger for Senate in 2016 because the first time I ran, I ran against somebody who I considered a good friend and I ran against someone who was the head of, uh, I ran against three people, the head of like some democratic clubs and then against a, a man who I didn't really know. But the challenge was the emotions of dealing with people in the community who said, I know you, but I know this person and I'm just going to support this person or, you know, people who stopped taking my phone calls who were setting up like, like people legit were setting up fundraisers for me. And then another person got in the race and they were like, Oh, I'm not going to not going to even take his calls anymore. But the minute the election was over, they on. called me and they were like, yo, we're I see back. you won your election. Hey, do you have any extra campaign money for my 501c3 program? Before, before we go, I'm going to leave that one alone. What? I probably shouldn't have said that. It, it is what it is. You're supposed to say it. The young kid that's in Riviera Beach right now, that having, that's super ambitious, that's gr- anywhere, anywhere in the community, that's super ambitious, that won a lot of things out of life, that's willing to put in the work. Is there a secret? Yes. What is that? It's a four-pronged approach. What I live by. One, two, three, four. Number one, that person has to make a decision. I don't care what you want to do in life. If you make a decision, you make a decision. You don't say, I kind of, sort of might. You make the decision. I've seen it everywhere from people who, okay, MVP, uh, Hassan, um, I can't think of his last name, but I know him. He got out of prison and said he wanted to go to the WWE. He was bouncing in clubs in Miami. He was wrestling on the popcorn circuit or whatever. He made a decision that he wanted to be in the WWE. He developed a plan. He got there. You make a decision. I know I got friends who I ran track with who wanted to be in movies. Will Packer, I didn't know him before. I knew him when he made a movie called Trois, Trois, whatever it's called, when I was at FAM, but I didn't know him, know him. He became Will Packer, right? Melissa Mitchell, uh, she's a fashion designer. We were in classes together at FAMU. Uh, Walter Dix, a number of people who I was around, they, they made a decision. And then the second thing you do is you have to have a plan. If you commit a plan to writing, you've now sent a letter and a message to the universe and you've committed it to paper and to your memory in terms of what you want to do. You have a plan. You made a decision. Now you have a plan. That's number two. Number three, this is a hard one. And I can, I'll show you these steps. Number three, you have to find somebody who's selfless as opposed to selfish that will help you get there. Selfless as opposed to selfish who will help you get there. And then the fourth step, this is the hardest step, but the easiest step. You have to go. You cannot accept no for an answer. You can't say, oh, well, you know, I'm scared. You can't, you can't say, well, what if I fail? Because 
if you fall, you got to be able to jump back up. The, if you show me somebody who's never failed, I'll show you somebody who's never really reached the pinnacle of the success they're supposed to have. You got to go. So look at me, my steps. Okay, one, I made a decision. I was going to run for state representative. I actually, when I got involved in politics, I was going to run for office one day. I didn't know when. Number two, I had made the decision and committed to the writing long, long time ago. I can say long, long, right? Yeah. A long, long time ago, I did an extra credit project project while I was in journalism school to be uh, for, to get my grade up. Professor Wilson made me wrote wrote made me write uh, a paper with the steps to become governor of the state of Florida. He really made me write this, and I turned it in. It was missing a lot of stuff, and he made me go back and redo it. But I committed it to writing. So when it was time to run for state rep, I wrote down some of the things and some of the plans, how to get there, and how to execute. Walter Bond says, think, dominate, execute. Execution is key. I had a written plan. Number three, I found somebody who was selfless as opposed to selfish who helped me get to get there. Mac Bernard was selfless at the time. He was running for state senate, and he didn't make it to the finish line. But he was not jealous or envious of me making it. He was happy and proud that I did make it. And he was successful still, although he wasn't state senator. Now he's county commissioner. Being defeated in the state Senate race did not make him lose who he was. And then the fourth thing I had to do was I had to really go and resign from my position as a legislative aide, go file paperwork with the state of Florida Department of State to run for state house and get a campaign manager. I had to go. I had to jump. It was that simple. It was scary. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you, if you're not, if you're operating in your comfort zone, you're never going to see growth. There's no growth in the comfort zone. Nobody sitting in their comfort zone ever grows. Feeling, feeling the shoes that Mac Bernard had set there. Was I going to be able to do it? I don't know. But what I knew I wouldn't do is I had a family. My, my mom who passed away, much earlier, but I had a father. I had my aunts and cousins and nephews and people in my family watching me that I refused to make my family look bad. And Mac Bernard had given me this opportunity. I refused to make him look bad. And then I was 30 years old. As a 30-year-old black man, I refused to allow people to see us fail in that spot because if I messed it up, then they wouldn't give somebody else who looked like me the opportunity to be successful. And at least it would become more difficult. So I had to take the ball and run hard. As a former athlete, I knew you can run hard. And if you don't hit, if you don't score the touchdown, if you keep getting up and you keep running forward, at some point you will score. So I was able to score quite a few times while being elected. Do you believe all those components, serving, working, consistency, making decisions, will and is building your legacy today? Absolutely. But the biggest builder of my legacy is not me. It's the people behind me, the people who I've, who I've given to, to, I'm not going to say given to you all, but who I've given to the process. You know, you look at former Councilman Terrence Davis, 
he ran because we had conversations and I inspired him to come to city council meetings and come to neighborhood meetings and run for office. And he was able to run because of the inspiration. You look at Trodrick McCoy, who I knew when we were growing up, who is now a city councilman in Riviera Beach, but also Trodrick was my legislative assistant. And, you know, I got him in position to work for Mac Bernard prior to me leaving to go run for office. You look at state representative Gervonta Edmonds. Gervonta was my legis- one of my legislative aides as well. Um, so you look at a number of people who are involved in the process, people who worked in my office who are now either in the legislative process as elected persons or decision makers outside of elected persons who have relationships. They came from uh, this process. You know, Clarice Redding, who is in the C-suite, is CEO of the company she's involved with, Ben Durgan, uh, Nasby Chowdhury, all these people who I hold in high regard who came through the process and worked. I don't want to say work with me, but work for me. I'm not, not work for me, but work with me to change the trajectory of uh, what this community looks like. So I think all of that is a part of it. My legacy is not about me. My legacy is who is here after I'm gone. And I'll tell anybody, you have to put, put good people in position to replace you. If I'm replacing me all the time, I'm good. The problem that many of us have is we get elected and we think that we should be the only elected official and nobody else can do it but us. And if it's not me, I don't want to support anyone else. No, wait, no way. That's not how it works. You build people, build the people around you. Now you have, you have a team, right? Now I've got access to the state house and the state Senate and the city council and the city commission. And, you know, because of the people that, you know, I'm connected with Shalonda Warren, you know, we're close. Um, and and then once you're there, continuing to build relationships with the people that you are elected with and you didn't have relationships with and you're able to succeed. So the legacy isn't about what I'm leaving in terms of the things I've done. The biggest thing that I can ever do is put other people in position to be successful, which in turn keeps the wheel moving in the same direction. In the book um, by Jim Collins called From Good to Great, it talks about when you become a part of a team, especially as a CEO or a leader, you don't come in and, and you'll see the leaders who fail. They come in and they change every single thing about the company when the company was moving pretty swiftly and doing a good job, change everything thing and every person and all the policies and all the procedures. And generally they may be good for a year or two and then fizzle out. But the great leaders will come in, they'll see the process, they know how it works, they see what's working. And they may change one or two things, but they keep that ball rolling in the same direction. And they continue to see success. They continue to see a dynasty. That's why a football coach can come in, take over a losing team that was not winning. And that coach will come in, create a program and a system, saving yourself time, energy, and money that works. And that coach will put his or her own coaches under him who when that coach gets ready to leave, the next coach comes in and uses the same system. And now you've got a dynasty that lasts 10, 20, 30 years. And people wonder how it happens when it's a different coach. They're using the same system. But what happens is somebody will see the system as it's been working. They'll get in position and change everything and wonder why it doesn't work because you used the wrong formula. 
What's next for Bobby? What's next for the senator? You know, the possibilities are endless. Um, but what I can tell you is uh, any opportunity that is helpful for the community that allows me to be a part of it, I'm, I'm going to look at it. I'll look at it and see how it can help benefit everybody, benefit the people around me. And I'll tell you, you know, family first. Anything that uh, allows me to highlight my family and enjoy them, I want to be a part of that too. So when are we talking about getting a governor? You know, uh, you know I'm on a short list right now. For I don't new- know what that means. Uh, so Charlie Chris has released a short list of candidates who he'd like to run with him, who could potentially run with him for a lieutenant governor. I think it it's an eye-opening opportunity when you see that you're on the short list of candidates for lieutenant governor to understand that if you can be the lieutenant governor, then you should consider, you know, running for governor. So it's possible. It's something that it's you're willing possible. to put. Well, clearly you're willing to put in the work because that's your pedigree and your history shows you're willing to put in the work. So I'll tell you like this. Absolutely. And if it's necessary, governor is not something that I'm aiming at. But if it's necessary, if I feel that the the right opportunity is there because we don't have the right person running for it, then I would consider it, right? I will tell you for the congressional race, Cong- congressional, congressional District 20, the original race in uh, when Alcee Hastings passed away, God rest his soul, who I, I you know, I admire it tremendously. So many people had gotten into the race mm-hmm. and I had considered running for it, but there was an individual who, who I believe um, that met many of the qualifications that I believe I meet who had the same type of heart. Uh, I felt that if that person's in the race and I'm in the race, it doesn't make sense because I believe in that person so much that I don't think I need to be there. I think a lot of times if people would see that instead of thinking it's about them, you'd have a lot less riffraff in politics. We all think we're great. Every person who believes in himself or herself wakes up every morning and thinks that they're great. We all know we have shortcomings too. And sometimes we don't highlight those shortcomings, but you know, when you want to be successful so bad that you are willing to put your other, your fellow man down, that ain't, that's not about success. That's about, it's about your own personal feelings of satisfaction and, and greed. And you can't be successful because once again, greed is not a spirit of the Lord. Right? I'm greed. I don't like seeing Beethoven in that spot where he's at. I want to be that. That's not for you. I don't care what I set up, how many cameras. I, if I'm not, if it is not in me, I'm not going to be that. If that's not in me, you know, I'm not going to be that. God gives each and every one of us gifts. But I think for me, one of the things that I'm realizing, you understand your identity. Correct. Very few understand their identity. You understand your identity, you understand your position, and you believe that you're going to make it to your destiny. Not that many really understand those capacities. And I believe that's what separates you amongst other. I watch the the compassion. Maybe it's not that word. I don't know. I watch you when you're in the chamber meetings and when other places that I see you, the 
the love and the that I see that people truly like like I I don't think it's a political love. I think it's like they really enjoy it. They love what you're doing, the work that you're putting in. And I think you represent the community well. And I think people love that. And I think you're growing into another capacity. Cause I don't for me, I don't understand politics. I don't understand a lot of the the chatty patty stuff. I don't understand a lot of the because I, I couldn't let someone talk about my mother and just I won't be in the elevator either. It's just just how I function. I'm not the best political representation of what politics look like, but I'm also dead serious about my community. And I believe always what I always saw consistent with you is you represent your community well and you're willing to hear someone out and also willing to put in the work. You know, the last chamber meeting that I was in, I saw you speaking on the stage and I saw growth. I was like, Bobby is comfortable here now. Not saying you show any signs of uncomfortability before, but I think I felt your spirit on like you really, you're talking to your peers. You didn't treat them like I'm the senator or I'm under you, whatever it is. You you just knew your identity. And I think that's a, uh, I love that representation. I love how you stand up for that. And you represent that as a black man, but also as a man overall, you know, you're representing Palm Beach Garden to Quest of Jupiter, communities that it's not normal for for a black man. I just want, well, you know, I don't, I'm not politically correct, so please don't get me with that one. And I really don't care. But I, but I genuinely do care about the quality of representation you represent for us. And I, and I just see the consistency. So I don't know the next level of what it takes, but I think your foundation is pure. And I think that is so important for the next level. So I wish you luck on that when you run for governor. I just want to give you a hand that. You know, Listen, you know. brother, I, I, I thank you and I own that. Everything you just said, Absolutely. I, I, I take it. Absolutely. And I believe that authentic, I can say this word, authenticity. Authenticity is a real thing. The problem that I've had with politicians, if I can say that word, without casting a label on others or myself, is that oftentimes people try to operate outside of the realm of being authentic of being who they are, of being who they think people want them to be, right? And I'm I'm comfortable being who I am, right? There's certain things that I don't do, and I'm okay with that. I don't, you know, I don't smoke and drink, and I'm okay with that. You're not going to, you will not make me feel bad if, if you and I are sitting at the table and you're drinking and smoking a cigar. I'm not going to feel bad. That's for you. It's not for me. And I don't feel like, I need to try to try to uh, emulate what you're doing so that I can feel cool, right? I'm okay in my own skin. <laughs> right. And a lot of people are not okay in their own skin because people are concerned with the judgment. What are they going to think about me? What are they, if I do this, what are people going to think? When you get past and you're comfortable in knowing that it's okay, my mom used to say, do those people feed you? Do those people put clothes on your back? Did they did they give you anything to eat today? And you telling me that they, because no, they don't. So when you learn how to operate in who you are and know whose you are, you're comfortable. You're confident. 
You're not worried about whether people are laughing about you or laughing or talking about you later on. People are talking about you. It's them. I remember when I was young in the game, uh, a, a gentleman came up to me and said, we had, oh, we were talking about you last night. My response was, ooh, you had a good subject and walked off. Because they were hoping that I would say, who? Who was talking about me? You and who? What y'all said? That's for you all. It's not for me. Oh, let me tell you what such and such said about you behind your back. Don't tell me. Because if it was said behind my back, it wasn't for me to hear. That's for you all. You live with that. And if you were there and you didn't speak up, that's not for me. So when you learn how to operate and not worry about, oh, they said this. Oh, they said that. Or what people think. Oh, look how she's looking at me. He's looking at me. A lot of times I look at people funny. And they, <laughs> why are you looking at me like that? Because I think I know you. Or because I can't see that well right now. right? But it's you. you worry so much that you scare yourself into not being authentic and it's time out for that i tell anybody be comfortable be who you are many times we'll be on stage and when we get off and, and you should do this don't get me wrong you know you go to somebody you trust and say how do you think i did was i okay did i sound okay what i used to do that a lot i still should probably just to make sure that i'm staying sharp because it's an evaluation but it's so rare now that i'll leave the stage and be concerned with what other people thought about me that I don't have time. Plus, you know, generally when I get off of stage, you know, 10 or 15 people come up to me and they, you know, they want to talk about the issues or they want to talk about something else. They want to expand on, they want to elaborate. They want to tell me. And I'm okay with that because it shows me that they felt comfortable. We made a connection. It's that power of story once again. Well, I'm telling you, Bobby, super impressed, man from your authenticity and your consistency and whatever you have next i'm willing to support please tell people how to connect with senator bobby powell jr my brother they can catch me on instagram at senator p-o-w uh that's my instagram handle uh i'm also on facebook uh state senator bobby powell uh, i'm on twitter look at you i don't I'm on Twitter. Just leave it there. Keep going. And uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. There's a lot of other social medias that I haven't mastered yet. Uh, most of them I haven't mastered, but I'm somewhat on there. I haven't learned Snapchat or... Um, You're, Bobby, stop. Just stop right there. He has those things. I'm not going to let you do this. My, Snapchat's not even... A, just stop while you're ahead. Please, people... Follow that good brother. When he, you see him in the grocery stores, please let him grocery shop by himself. He's the guy with the hat and the shades, just if you guys don't know. Um, no, but thank you, Bobby, for coming by, man. And one thing, like I said, my goal was to really let people understand, especially my community, they have no clue what these titles are, Correct. these position, and get. I hope they got some clarity now. But let me do my homework. I'm supposed to say, please, everybody, like and subscribe, share, do all those nice things. Definitely log on to Hustler's Testimony. Check out the merch. Check out a couple of things that we're doing. We're planning events. We have a lot of great things coming up. Um, and I, thank you, man. Hope to see you again when you're running for governor. God bless. Good night.